Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Uh, I love this weather. I don't know about you, but the northern boy in me is very, very happy. <clears throat> They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus walked ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside and again began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. This is immediately what precedes the gospel reading today. And this was the third time that Jesus had proclaimed his looming crucifixion and death. Lamar Williamson Jr. writes, to be sure... Jesus does not go easily to his death, but neither does he face death with amazement, alarm, or uncertainty. He may not know just how he will die. Only Matthew chapter 20 verse 19 has Jesus predict that he will be crucified. But is surely to die, it is surely to die that he goes up to Jerusalem. The goal is passion, not pilgrimage. He will be hailed as king of the Jews, but his enthronement will be paradoxical. His coronation will mean his death. This is a very deliberate journey that Jesus is on. And he is facing his impending death with the understanding that his life, his vocation, cannot be completed without it. He knew that it had to happen. After all, he had already solemnly warned the disciples three times that this was going to happen. Now, perhaps at this point, when they are on the road, this was not just some leisurely walk on a vacation or somewhere they wanted to go. Jesus was leading them to his death. Perhaps they started to understand that these things were not just crazy things he was saying, but things that were actually going to happen. However, they are still afraid. And although Jesus may not be, it says very clearly the disciples are amazed, alarmed, and uncertain. I think that I would probably be in that camp as well, as would most of us if someone had told us these things, even though you believed the fear would be overwhelming. Because the disciples still believed that Jesus in his entrance into Jerusalem would be one of triumph and glory. That he would be crowned as their king and ultimately overthrow the Roman Empire. Now, At the beginning, if you'll remember, of of the chapter 10 of Mark's gospel, 
Jesus takes a small child and places it in front of them. And he tells them that unless you accept the kingdom of God like one of these children, you will not enter it. Now, they don't have to be children to do that, but as we heard recently, it is something that needs to be approached in a way of honesty, of realness. Think about the way children learn. Excitement, curiosity, wanting so deeply to learn about this thing. Enter James and John. Now, if you remember the times that Jesus has, has rebuked the disciples for going against what he's telling them about going to die, it's, there, are three, there are three times that he does that. And the three people he does it to are Peter, James, and John. Those are his inner circle. Those are supposed to be the ones that really get it. And yet, we continue to see that they don't. So I can, I can picture as they're walking on the road, right? It says they're behind him and they're wondering what's going on. They're probably whispering to each other, you do it, no, you do it, you do it. I don't want to ask the question, right? We've all been there and we've seen it happen. They're nervous, they're excited, they might be scared of what's to come and not sure of how it's going to be. And then the moment of truth arrives. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, any of you that have children or have been children know this tactic rarely comes to fruition and success. Have you ever tried that approach? It's okay, be honest. You can shake your head. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. How'd that work out for you? Probably not well. Right? Someone recently told me that when she was young, her parents would tell her to ask the question that you want the answer to. Yeah, we try to get there. My 10-year-old is really good at saying, hey, uh, do you have anything going on? Well, what is it you want? And her example was, hey, are you using the car tonight, Dad? And her parents would say, ask the question. She said, can I borrow the car tonight? Because we try to circumvent those things so we don't have to hit it directly and go right at it. Now, in this moment, we see them taking somewhat of a childlike approach to to, to ask Jesus a question. But they're using that childlike approach to manipulate him to what they want. And like any prudent parent in the world, Jesus says, Before I answer your question, tell me what it is you want. There's one other place where Jesus says to someone simply, what can I do for you? Which would be amazing, because how many things could we we think of in a, a nanosecond that we could have Jesus do for us? And finally they ask, we want to sit at your right and left hand in glory, and they show their true colors, And ironically, Jesus does not outwardly rebuke them. Instead, he makes them say what they want. 
And then he says, <laughs> you have no idea what you're asking for. They can't know fully what they're asking for. But boy, are they confident. Yes, yes, we can do it. We can do those things. He said, can you drink the cup that I have to drink? Can you be baptized in the same way that I am? Yes, we can do that. We can do that. And he says, no, you cannot. Because the cup that he drinks is a suffering beyond comprehension. And it is a suffering that is so drastic and brutal that there is no way that we could do that. We couldn't do it. And his baptism is not just a rebirth, but it is his death leading to resurrection. Now, James and John are still convinced that Jesus will be enthroned and reign as their king. And when they do, they ask for these seats at his right and left hand because they're still hoping that the trip to Jerusalem will, despite their apprehension, end in glory. And as we know, James and John are not seated by Jesus on his throne in glory because there are two robbers who are seated at his right and left side on his throne. But his throne was not a seat. It was a cross. And he was crowned, but his crown was one of thorns. Indeed, James and John did not, in fact, know what they were asking for. Even though they had heard Jesus, his threefold prediction of his own suffering and death, they are still fantasizing about the coming glory and scheming for positions of privilege. Well, my friends, that brings it to us, to you and to me. And that brings us to discipleship, but not just something of a fleeting or passing by, but true discipleship. I want you to think of these questions over the next few moments. What does true discipleship look like to you? Are you willing to do what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus? What needs to change in your life to make this really happen? And are you willing to give up your possessions and walk away from it all? How we respond to this call, this command by Jesus, is of the utmost importance. This is not something we can do halfway. It has to become a priority in our lives. Now, I frankly find it a little bit strange to be saying this because of the way that Christ Church serves the world and the community. You should all be very, very proud of how we serve as disciples, as a community. But what are you? You, the individual doing to live out your discipleship. How are you serving others? 
Is it through your vocation? Perhaps your family serves in ways to serve the community? I know it's happening because I can see it happening. I know it. Our Christian walk requires all of these things for us. Jesus tells us that we must become servants to all those around us. To pour out our lives for others as Jesus did for us on his throne, the cross. And to walk with the faith of a little child. Lamar Williamson later writes this. Any reader can deplore the dullness and fear of those first followers, but at least they were perceptive enough to be alarmed. Today, the gospel is often presented as a no-risk offer, and persons sometimes follow Jesus in order to stay out of trouble. It is possible to understand each of these approaches in a way that is valid, but the text offers a jolting challenge to any simplistic self-centered understanding of discipleship. Getting right with God by coming to Jesus is not simply a basic factor in an orderly life. That hurts a little bit. Discipleship will mean more, trouble, not less. Though it may be palliative in some respects, following Jesus is likely to be disruptive in others. True discipleship is characterized by a costly pouring out of one's life for another, whether it be an aging parent, a difficult spouse, a special child, another member of the Christian fellowship who has unusual needs, or any person whose situation elicits neighborly service at personal cost. Jesus came to serve and to give us life. Anyone who contemplates following Jesus without fear and trembling has not understood true discipleship, according to Mark. So today, the final question, if you were in a situation where you had to give up your life for Jesus, are you willing to do that? Amen.